we did last time. Excuse me. We'll read verses 1 through 23 as we did last time. But the focus of, our, uh, of the sermon tonight will be on verses 9 through 14. 9 through 14 is what we will be primarily looking at. So Colossians 1, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this night asking that you would pour out your spirit upon us so that we might know your word, that we might live it, imitating our Christ as our our example, and that we would be reminded of the sweet truths of the gospel of how you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. O Father, as we think upon how to pray for the church, help us to form those intuitions and those, those aspects of our prayer lives that need to be come into greater conformity to Paul's prayer that we will see. Help us, O Father, that we might pray not merely for the temporary things of this life, or for a good life, but for a life that patterns our Christ and His cross. We ask this, O Father, in Your Son's holy 
and perfect name. Amen. Let me start by asking you a question. How do you pray for the church? I know that you do pray for the church. I'm with you on Wednesday nights. So I know at least once a week that you pray for the church. And I appreciate it as a member of this church. But how do you pray for the church? I think if we're honest, our petitions to God don't often look like our passage here in Paul. We pray for our brother's surgery, our sister's pregnancy, and the couple's getting married, right? All important things that we need to pray for. And if I'm honest, my prayers for us tend to focus on needs like this. Wisdom and and moving, right? Strength for school. Patience in marriage and, and raising kids. And these prayers are important. And I want to continue, you all to continue praying like this for me as I will do for you. These prayers, do not hear me wrong, these prayers are important. But they lack kingdom focus, do they not? They focus on us, but they do very little to reflect upon God and His glory. Our petitions to God often do not plead for Christ-like conformity in our own lives, let alone for Christ-like conformity for our church, our brothers and sisters here. Often our prayers are about securing a better course of life rather than following Christ's path. In our passage tonight, in verses 9-14 through of Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul models for us how to pray for the church. Having heard of their faith, love, and hope in Christ, Paul now prays to God for the Colossians to pattern their lives after Christ because of the gospel they have received. And this prayer was vital because the Colossians were being led astray by false teachers, led astray from Christ and His way. Likewise, we too today can be led away from Christ's well-trodden path. So to stay on course, we must pray for the church to follow Christ's path. That's the main point that I want us to look at today. In our passage, we need to... So to stay on course, we must pray for the church to follow Christ's path. In our passage, Paul prays for the church to watch her step, to walk Christ's walk, and to remember where she's walking. Those three again. To watch her step, to walk Christ's walk, and to remember where she's walking. So for our first point, to stay on course, we must pray for the church to watch her step. In verse 9, Paul prays so that the Colossians, for the Colossians to discern the will of God from error. Paul has heard of the Colossians' faith, love, and hope that we saw there in verses uh, uh, 3 to 8. They've heard, uh, he's heard of the Colossians' Hope in Christ and the reception of His gospel. In verses 3-8, to Paul gives glory to God for what he has done among the Colossians. But now, Paul transitions his prayer of thanksgiving into a prayer of petition. As a result of the Colossians' true reception of the gospel, Paul now prays constantly that the church there would know God's will as found in Scripture. See how Paul prays in verse 9. 
He prays asking that the church may be filled with the knowledge of His will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. By knowledge of His will, Paul simply, Paul simply means God's will for how we ought to live as worthy Christians, as worthy followers of Christ, as we will see in coming verses. But I want us to focus in on that last phrase. Look there in your Bibles with me. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning this wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's what is meant by spiritual. Paul's use of filled with knowledge and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This phrase and this choice of words is an allusion to some very important Old Testament text. When Israel begins to build the tabernacle all the way back in Exodus, Bezalel and Aholiab are filled with the Spirit of God, right? And what are they given? Wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And in 1 Kings 7, Solomon brings Hiram of Tyre to build and decorate God's temple, right? Hiram was filled with, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So these spirit-filled men were to build a worthy place for God as was revealed to them. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul is praying. Just as these workers were filled with God's Spirit to build a place worthy of God, the Colossians were likewise to be filled with the Spirit to build lives worthy of God, doing God's will unto His glory. Just as the tabernacle and the temple reflected God and His glory, the Christian's life is to glorify God in all things. And this is where Paul is going. Just as the men of old received the pattern of God's dwelling place through, through Moses and Solomon, they literally saw the blueprint of heaven there. The Colossians had learned God's will through their lives, through God's Word, preeminently in the Gospel of Christ. So just as the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, our spirit-filled lives, brothers and sisters, our spirit-filled lives are to be worthy of God's glory because they reflect the pattern of Christ. In God's Word, we see commands to obey, virtues to display, and in Christ, an example to follow. But as we follow Him, we must watch our step. We must watch our step. False teachers were teaching that we get to God's heavenly kingdom, to His heavenly temple by our own holiness. If we become spiritual enough, we get to see God's end-time glory. The false teachers were full of themselves, full of themselves, and looked to themselves to enter God's presence. But Paul's prayer is that the church be filled with the Spirit, looking at Christ and the Word to please God, not themselves. Paul was pointing the Colossians back to Christ and His Word to see what true glory looked like. Not their own puffed-up egos like the false teachers taught. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray this for ourselves, that we watch our step, because false teachers can teach errors that are very persuasive, 
especially to our hearts. And that's the real weight in Paul's prayer. He wants the Colossians to discern the will of God from the error, even the error in their own hearts. This discernment takes a genuine work of the Spirit. That's why we must pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding. But like all things, the Spirit always points us back to Christ and His Word, where God's will is revealed for us. So brothers and sisters, the real question, the question I want us to ponder for this first point, is whether we will allow the Word to speak into our lives. Are we willing, through the power of the Spirit, to have the Word speak into our lives? Are we willing to open up our Bibles and have it inform us of how to please God, even if it corrects our way of life, our understanding, our preferences? Like the Colossians, we need the call to watch our step and the spiritual help to do it. Because it is hard to admit error, especially when that error is so convincing to our sin. We often use error to twist our sins into personal convictions and even virtue. That's how distorting our hearts are. It's so subtle and common that we need help seeing it for what it is. People justified leaving the church because the church stopped teaching the way that they wanted. It's not that the church changed its teaching. You just have an unteachable spirit. Again, a root of bitterness towards a sister can look like self-care, right? When really, you just don't want to talk to that person anymore. Favoritism. Favoritism can look like a close friendship with one person or a group when we are really called to love all the body. Not being prejudiced in what we think is best. Brothers and sisters, when errors distort our understanding like this, it shows that we are filled with ourselves, not the Spirit. This is why we must pray. We need God's Spirit to discern His will from our error. error. Not just the false teaching out there, but the false teaching in here. And the way we can do that is to have the Spirit do His work through the Word. As we learn elsewhere, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brothers and sisters, as we pray with Paul, allow the Spirit to do His work with the Word. Let your consciences be hurt. Let your sins be exposed as they are revealed in the Word of God. Don't believe the errors of the false teachers out there, even the one in here. Name your sin and forsake it so that God's Spirit might fill you all the more 
and build a life worthy of Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, do not be full of yourselves. Filled with your own spirit, discerning what you want. But be filled with Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit, discerning His will for your life. So then, moving on. Paul prayed for the church that they might know and discern God's will from error. And for our next point, we see the purpose of discerning God's will. To stay on course, we must pray for the church to walk Christ's walk. To stay on course, we must pray for the church to walk Christ's walk. In verses 10 to 12, Paul prays for the church to walk worthy and pleasing lives before the Lord. And so, coming in from verse 9, the result of the knowledge of God's will is that the Colossians walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Verse 10. God's Word determines what this pleasing life looks like. That said, Paul may have in mind a certain aspect of God's Word that we alluded to in the first point. Remember in verse 6 that the Colossians had received the Word of Truth, the Gospel. The Colossians knew of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so, the worthy and pleasing life before God is the one that Christ showed them in the Gospel that He showed them in His own life and ministry. The Colossians had a real-life pattern of a worthy and pleasing life in the person of Jesus. And so they were to walk, Christ walk. We see three patterns of Jesus' life in verses 10 to 12. We see bearing and increasing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. Bearing and increasing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. First, the Colossians were to bear fruit and increase as Jesus did. If you were here last time, uh, you might remember that this is a similar point and phrase that we brought out. Last time we saw that in verse 6, that Jesus and His gospel bore fruit and increased, right? As the last Adam, Jesus reflected the glory of God as the perfect image bearer. This was His bearing fruit increasing as His gospel went out about His glory, about His salvation, Jesus reflected the glory of God across the known world and continues on to this day. And so this was Jesus bearing fruit and increasing. Likewise, Christ's followers now reflect His glory, bringing God's glory to the ends of the earth. As Christ's Word germinates in our hearts, We produce greater works and increase in the knowledge of God. We are thus radiating God's glory, or more particular, Christ's glory, as we live for Him. We become a more radiant and radiant candle upon the Christmas tree, so to speak. Second, the Colossians were to be strengthened as Jesus was. In verse 11, their strength was not their own willpower, but the power of God's work in them. All power was according. Uh, the Colossians were, were to be strengthened with all power, and that all power was according to his glorious might, the Father's. And the end goal of this power was to pre, uh, persevere through trial for all endurance and patience. And this follows Jesus' Jesus's example to a T. If you would, go to Luke 4. 
In Luke 4, Jesus is said to be full of the Spirit as He was tested in the wilderness. Jesus was filled with the Spirit using God's Word to persevere through the lies of Satan, right? We know this story. It's Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And isn't it interesting that the Colossian situation mirrors Jesus's at this point? Being strengthened through the Spirit to disregard and persevere through the lies of false teachers. So this is the Colossian situation. And at the end of Jesus's temptation, Jesus returned from the wilderness in the what? The power of the Spirit, verse 12. And so if Jesus relied on the power of the Spirit during His testing... How much more are we to rely on His strength, His Spirit's strength, to persevere to the end? And then third, the Colossians were to give thanks to the Father as Jesus did. In light of the false teaching and what Paul will go on to say, thanks is given to the Father because the Colossians no longer belong to the domain of darkness and its lies. We are to give thanks for being Jesus' kingdom people, just as Christ gave thanks to the Father for giving Him a kingdom people. See there in Luke 10, verse 21, Luke 10, 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things, His ministry, true spiritual understanding, from the wise and understanding, such as the false teachers were. And reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who is who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father, Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And so, simply, if Jesus thanks the Father for saving you, that's what He's doing. Jesus is thanking the Father for saving you from false teachers. How much more are we to thank God for Jesus saving us? So a worthy and pleasing life is one that reflects Jesus as seen in the gospel message. We are to be a glory-radiating, Satan-resisting, thankful people just like Jesus. I remember when I was first converted... There was another person in our church who had just recently uh, attended. And he was a lifelong Christian, but he loved our church for a very uh, simple reason. He was a long-term Christ, a long-time Christian, but he fell in love with the church we were both going to. And I remember him saying something that encapsulates what, what's going on in this passage. He said to me, How? The churches I grew up in told me how to get saved. But this is the only church that has ever told me what to do once I was saved. That rocked my world. People are looking for purpose. Young people in particular. They want their lives to mean something. They want their lives to have importance. And Christ's church has the only answer that will satisfy eternally. We must present Christ as our Savior. Yes, absolutely. But we need to present our Christ as an example, brothers and sisters, 
of what true life looks like. The imitation of Christ satisfies our longings for something more. But for some reason, we hide this precious truth underneath the bushel. And I'm not sure why. Maybe we don't want to confuse the gospel. Confuse what the gospel is, right? Maybe we don't want to confuse the law and gospel that by imitating Jesus that we save ourselves. That's not what we're saying, no. But if we have a proper grasp on the gospel, that Jesus' work on our behalf is what saves us, not our works, then the imitation of Jesus' work isn't a stumbling block. We should walk Christ's walk, in other words. Not as the grounds of our salvation, but as the path of our sanctification. We should walk Christ's walk, not as the basis of our acceptance, but as the way of life that pleases the Father. The false teachers at Colossae tried to find real meaning in their religion, in their strict way of life. But Paul gives us where true meaning and purpose is, is found. That's in the, in the person of Jesus. When we follow Christ, we live worthy and pleasing lives. When we pick up our cross, we are imitating the glorious path that Christ walked. Even what we saw there in Sunday school. Just as Christ descended to the dead and was raised again, so too, when we follow Him in that path of humiliation, we too will follow Him in that path of exaltation. When we pick up our cross, we are imitating the glorious path Christ walked. But this is difficult. Because reflecting God's glory means that our lives are not about ourselves. They're about Jesus. Being strengthened implies going through difficult trials as Jesus did. But let me tell you, especially for those who do not know of Christ, especially for you young ones here, children, I'm looking at you, especially as you older teens, please look at me. It's absolutely worth it to pick up the cross. Because living for ourselves now is hollow and meaningless in light of eternity. But if we live for Christ now, we will have life in abundance, both now and in the future, giving all thanks to the Father. So brothers and sisters, pray that we imitate our Lord, because as our Lord taught, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And indeed, find it in full. Brothers and sisters, pick up your cross. Imitate our Christ. That is true meaning. That is true purpose. Don't believe the lies that your heart only wants you to believe. So Paul's prayer was to imitate Christ living worthy before God. Yet our Christian walk can only be understood in the greater context of what Christ or what God has done. This brings us to our third and final point. To stay on course, we must pray for the church to remember where she's walking. 
In verses 12 to 14, Paul concludes his prayer reflecting on the Father's work in the Son. In verse 12, Paul expounds upon the Father, uh, expounds upon the idea of the Father whom we are to give thanks. The Father has qualified believers to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. And though Paul was focused on the believer's worthy life, ultimately, it is God who qualifies us to receive this inheritance, which is the same idea as the heavenly hope in verse 5. God is the one who qualifies us to receive eternal life. It is not the worthiness of our lives that we will be resurrected, but it is only by God's, God's grace alone that qualifies us to enter His radiant presence along with all His holy people on the resurrection day. Verse 13 and 14 explains how God qualifies His people for this inheritance. Look there with me. God both delivers and transfers, right? To qualify for eternal resurrection life, God must first deliver us from the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness is the realm of Satan, where death and eternal curse reigns. No one under that realm is qualified to enter God's realm of light, life, and blessing. So God delivers His people from the realm, from that realm, and transfers us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so simply, the the Son's kingdom is synonymous with the saints' inheritance and light. The newly appointed ruler of God's kingdom is the all-worthy and beloved Son. He is the one who has conquered sin and Satan. It is because of Christ that our redemption from the domain of darkness is secured. The Father can transfer us because Christ has redeemed us. That's the logic there. Our sins no longer mark us as belonging to Satan and darkness. Because Christ bore the curse for our sins, delivering us from the darkness, thus qualifying us for His kingdom in light, the inheritance that that God gives us in Christ. Paul's language and themes here in this passage are evocative of the Exodus story, where God delivered and redeemed His people from Egypt. You might remember the story where Israel had just made it over the Red Sea, And God spoke to them at the foot of Mount Sinai where He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. You shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19. God's deliverance. This deliverance as being born on eagles' wings. It's absolutely beautiful. It shows the sovereign transfer of the people from one land to another in one swift motion. By God's hand, Israel went immediately from the kingdom of Egypt to the kingdom of God. And so Paul is saying that Christ's redemption is just like this exodus, but on a cosmic scale. King Jesus has moved His saints from one realm to another. Like Israel, it's not because of how worthy we are, but it's because of God's sovereign, kingly pleasure to bring us to Himself through His Son. Christ is the eagle 
by which we have been born. Brothers and sisters, Paul's prayer ends with the church reflecting upon what God has done in Christ. Imagine. Imagine how encouraging this must have been to the Colossians. The false teachers pointed to themselves as the qualification for entering God's presence. But Paul points us back to God and His work to keep us from looking at ourselves. And this is vital to grasp in our Christian walk. Because if you're anything like me, brothers and sisters, if you're anything like me, we are so tempted to look at our performance as the basis of our qualification. Not God's good pleasure. Not Christ's redemption. Not Christ's forgiveness. The imagery of pilgrims striving to enter heaven is a biblical imagery that we rightly cherish. We should love pilgrims' progress, right? But we need to remember where we are walking. We are not pilgrims trying to pull ourselves out of the pit. We are not pilgrims in Satan's land. If we are caught in that pit, brothers and sisters, then there is no hope. That is why God must bear us on eagles' wings and bring us to a new land by His own sovereign pleasure. A land beyond the sea. A land beyond the Jordan. To the land of inheritance. The kingdom of His beloved Son. It is here, brothers and sisters. This is where we walk and this is where we strive for God's glory. Not in Satan's domain, but in Christ. So yes, we must walk the path of Christ. But we must always remember that God has placed us on a level ground. We walk the well-trodden path of Christ that He has prepared for us. We march to Zion in wake of Jesus, not before Him. So for those who feel the need to perform, or that you have that wayward itch in your soul, oh dear brother and sister, for those who just feel like they have to perform, that they have to qualify themselves, know that Jesus has done that for you. He bore the curse so you don't have to inflict yourself when you fall. He has rescued us from Satan's domain so that, you don't have, so that you don't have to free yourself. You can walk freely and happily because Christ's redemption forgives all your sins. Though you may feel frustration in your walk with Christ, as we all will, because of sin, because of Satan, because of our condition in life, we will all face frustration in our walk but we should always know and remember where we walk. We walk where there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are here tonight and you do not know the Lord, if you do not know of Christ and His redemption, I plead that you turn from your sin and trust in Christ for forgiveness. Don't listen to the lies of your own hearts. You cannot save yourself from God's judgment. You are not enough. But the good news is, Christ is. 
So then, whether you have come to know Christ at this very moment, or of all the seasoned saints, hear these words. Take up your cross and follow Him, knowing that a glorious inheritance of eternal life awaits those who walk His path. So in conclusion, Paul has modeled for us how to pray for the church. How to pray for one another as Christ's followers. We ought to pray for the church to know God's will and to imitate Christ in all of life because of what our Christ has done for us already. In light of what we've seen tonight, brothers and sisters, how will you pray for the church? What will you ask God for you and your brothers and sisters this very night? Will you pray for a better, easier path for you and your people? Or will you pray that the church stay on Christ's course? Join Paul in praying for Christ's church. Pray that we might walk the path of King Jesus in the sure hope because He has already gone before us. In the sure hope that glory awaits those who follow Him. Let us pray. Father, forgive us. For though our prayers need to concern bodily ailments, of finances, of difficulties in life, Lord, forgive us for where we do not have our prayers petition You to make us more like Jesus. Father, give us knowledge of Your will and Your Spirit so that we might imitate Your Christ so that You are glorified as is proper to Your holy glory. And Father, as we leave here this night, help us to know that in our walk with Christ, that we do not have to strive out of the pits on our own efforts, but Christ has bore us on eagles' wings and has brought us into the inheritance to which we follow as pilgrims the path of Christ. O oh, Father, help us now to pray for Your people. Yes, pray for Your people, but more so to follow through with those prayers and be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We ask this in Your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.